Please pray with me. Jesus, you are worthy. Your thoughts are above our thoughts. Your ways are above our ways. Your love is too immense for us to comprehend. You are worthy of all adoration. You are worthy of all praise. You are worthy of the best of us and then some. That's why we gather here to sing glory to you, to remind ourselves that you are God and we are not. And to find comfort in that and freedom for you are good and you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In the mid-1850s, a man became to become extremely popular in France at the time as an entertainer. His name was Charles Blondin, and he became the first sort of best world-known acrobat. And he made a name for himself traversing in giant heights um, with no safety nets whatsoever. In 1850s, he moved across to the United States and challenged himself to be able to cross an 1,100-foot span across Niagara Falls going free solo, like this. So he does it, and he makes it all the way across, and then he comes back, and he does it again, except this time he does it blindfolded. And then he puts a bag over his head and does it again. And then he does it on stilts, And then he does it taking an oven out, putting it in the middle, and fries himself an omelet before finishing the rest of it. Then he does it with a wheelbarrow. He just keeps going and keeps doing this flawlessly. And then finally, after getting all the way across with a wheelbarrow, he asks, like, do you have confidence in me now? To the crowd, which of course everybody yells and cheers. He says, do you think I can do this again? And everybody, of course, cheers. Yeah, we believe. We can do it. He says, do you believe enough to get in the wheelbarrow? Kind of quiet in the crowd at that moment. And then some one man puts up his hand and is willing to do it. In fact, Charles Blondin goes on to actually take his agent and piggybacks him all the way across. He even stops and puts a chair on, tips it up on one leg of the four on the rope in the middle of an 1,100-foot span and balances on it. But it's this great question to the crowd asking them their question of faith that we want to stop and think about together this morning. As we work through these questions, um, through this book this year, the Jesus Questions, we come to a question in the Gospel of Matthew today where we kind of hit a wheelbarrow moment. Jesus asks his would-be followers, do you believe that I am able to do this? This really is a question of blind faith. Here's the text. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this. Yes, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. 
But they went out and spread the news about him over that region. The passage starts off as Jesus went out from there. So if you have your Bible open to Matthew 9 and you look back right in front of this, you realize when he's talking about out from there, there was he was just gone and Jairus' daughter has just been raised from the dead and a paralyzed man has just been brought back to movement and demons have been cast out and many sick have been healed and the momentum is building of Jesus healing and restoring throughout the gospel, and now he's just raised somebody from the dead for the first time in the gospels, and so when Jesus went on from there, that's where he was going on from. And so it's no wonder that two people who were blind, longing so badly for healing in their own life after seeing somebody raised from the dead, would be scrambling to follow someone maybe who could do this. You see, this is so significant because these two who are following him are blind. There is not a prophet in the Old Testament in any single story who ever heals somebody who is blind. It was well known and accepted across Israel that only God himself could heal blindness. Maybe that's why there's more healings of blind people in the Gospels than of any other kind of ailment. Blindness. This never happens again in the rest of the New Testament either beyond the Gospels and the healings of Jesus. The restoration of sight for those who are blind. Perhaps this passage is actually the etymology of the term blind faith. To follow and scramble along behind somebody when you haven't even seen all these miracles that everybody else has been talking about, you're just taking them in through your ears and and, and you're listening to the crowd and the response and you haven't actually seen this yourself, but you're living vicariously through the stories of everybody else and what they've been able to see with their eyes. You know, when we're all children, that's kind of how our faith starts off, though. We listen to the stories and and we hear the stories told to us from Scripture and Sunday school and these stories are all somebody else's story. But here in this story, Jesus, and in each of these questions, confronts people in the greatest questions and the greatest doubts and the greatest fears of their own relationship with him. I'm struck in this passage by what it is that they actually ask him. They ask Jesus for mercy Not even for healing, and I I find this instructive. Like when we're asking God for big things in our faith, we're not actually asking him, or we should not probably be asking him, for the specific fulfillment to our prayers as we would like to see them happen. See, what's even greater need than a healing from blindness in terms of its physical ailment is the blindness of our faith. And an act of mercy would do that. When you pray to God for the things that you long for the most in your life, are you telling God prescriptively what the healing for that is supposed to be? Or are you simply asking for mercy? I found myself challenged by that in this text this week. And I thought about all the things that I've been asking God for lately and realizing that I haven't really been asking God for much. I've really been telling God what he needs to be doing but it's just mercy that they ask for. And yet embedded in their petition is also a declaration. Not only are they following somebody who they believe has the power to restore sight that no human being on the record that they understood in their faith tradition has ever done. So they believe that this man is different, but they refer to him as the son of David. This is a messianic title. They are calling Jesus God. Their faith is supposed to be of inspiration to us in terms of what it is that they're seeking out. They can't even see this, but they long for it. 
And they know who he is. Hear that carefully. They haven't seen Jesus, but they know who he is. And their insight is better than their eyesight. They get it. Jesus turns the question back to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And that's where we want to stop and pause and reflect on today is just this question which starts off in the first part, do you believe? The pointedness of this question to two people regarding the deepest ailment that they knew in their life I think tells us a lot about the questions that Jesus wants to ask us. Not do you believe in somebody else's faith, or do you believe in the stories of Moses and David and those told of long ago in Scripture? But do you believe? Like for you, for Jesus' answers in your life, inside your deepest pains. You see, because as the story unfolds, we begin to see that that's where the healing occurs. According to your faith, let it be done to you. But I want you to hear this clearly, because I think too often the Christians have heard this wrong in the Gospels. When Jesus says according to, he doesn't mean in proportionality to. I think often we read the word according to, and we mean like, um, because they had such great faith, that's why. Like if they would have had less faith, they would have been given back eyesight, but they still would have needed glasses. Like they would have still had some sort of prescription deficiency or maybe cataracts or astigmatism. But no, 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 no. It's not a, a, a gradient type of faith. I think a better translation of this would actually be like, since you have faith. Right? Recall elsewhere in the gospel, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, pick yourself up and go throw yourself into the ocean." And yet there's this interesting relationship between faith and results. Like, I wouldn't go so far as to say that faith is the fuel of miracles or the fuel of the results of our petitions that are embedded within our prayers. But yet there is an undeniable relationship between them. Consider the opposite what happens. You know this story from Mark chapter 6. Jesus is unwelcome in his hometown. It says because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them, except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So even the absence of faith becomes an obstacle to Jesus' ability to work when we aren't receptive to it or believe that he can do it. See, but there's another huge obstacle to this. And this is hard for us to really wrap our heads all the way around, and this is, I think, where faith gets formed in us in a different and more mature way is I know that there are also places in your life and in mine where we have petitioned God fervently for things. Maybe even believed in our heart of hearts that a healing could happen. But if we just prayed hard enough that the result would come that we longed for. And it didn't. Leslie Crawford in her commentary on this passage says it like this. I think that there are times when faith is believing that God can and will move mountains. But there are also times when faith is trusting God's goodness and continuing to place our hope in him even when the mountains refuse to move. You see, there will be times where you'll come before God and you will plead with him, you will cry, you will beg for an answer for something that hurts so deep or, or somebody beside you who is suffering or dying and you are petitioning God on their behalf and you don't get the answer you want. In that moment, faith is still being formed. And that's why this question is so critical. Do you believe? 
And I think in the way that the question is asked also hints at the answer that must be demanded of us. Do you believe that? I think this part of the question is so important. Not do you believe how or do you know how it is that this stuff happens or do you believe why or understand why this stuff happens. It's do you believe that? See, that is a word that puts our trust in the goodness of God and in his character and not in our ability to understand. That is a word of relinquishment of control. It is a surrender of trust. I don't have to know the mind of God, and I will never understand fully the mind of God. I am barely an image of being created in his image. I can't think his thoughts after him. I don't know how the resurrection works, and the foundation of my faith is not being able to figure out at what moment in time in the three days that Jesus was in the grave, and was it his heart that first started beating, or was it air that entered his lungs and then that kick-started the heart? Like, my faith is not contingent upon my ability to understand the details of those things. My faith is contingent upon the that. That God is good. That God is God. That his thoughts are above my thoughts. That his ways are above my ways. We know that, not how, not why, we just know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That is one of the best words for us. That is, that is a word of faith. That is a word of belief. It's not of intellect. That is where your awe and your wonder gets placed. That is the word of surrender in all of this. Not do you know how, just do you believe that? Do you believe that I am able to do this? See, it's the transfer of that faith and belief to him. It's the handing over, it's the relinquishment that makes it happen. It's the belief that he is able. It's the belief that he is capable. That he has the ability to do all things. That he holds all things. That he is God and I am not. And now this. Do you believe that I am able to do this? And he doesn't have to spell out for the blind people what that is, does he? They know the place of their deepest hurt. Where they have been broken maybe even since birth. The place that nobody else has been able to touch. The healing they may have asked for a ton of different times, the things that have made them feel marginalized from society and everybody else. Their physical ailments would have kept them outside of the place of worship because it was believed that their sin was either, or their blindness was either a result of their sin or somebody else's, and so they should not be in that presence and in that place. Satan tells every single one of you the same lie on a regular basis. That it's because of this, it's because of your brokenness, it's because of your sin, it's because of your shortcomings that you don't get to experience the goodness of God in fullness. And in the same way that that was a lie told to the blind men back in the day, that is a lie that is still being told to you and me today. And the question that I want every one of us to hear from Jesus this morning is what is your this? Last night I went back and read through a famous sermon of Charles Spurgeon on this text, and he was just fixated on this word this. What's your this? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? You see, when we encounter Jesus with all these questions in the Gospels, I love that his questions for everybody is always different. He honors the uniqueness of the way that his Father has created you. 
And then he goes after the place where you've been hurt the most and where Satan trips you up the most and the place where you feel the smallest. He goes to the place of your deepest pain. Maybe even the places where you haven't had faith yet. Where you don't believe God is big enough to touch or you've just surrendered um, even the belief that maybe one day God would. What's your this? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes with me right now. Spirit of God, I'm asking you in this moment for every single one of us in this room to point out one place inside of our mind and in our hearts where you want to show us our this. Where we need a defibrillator for our faith. Where it's grown stagnant or where we, some place inside of us we don't know or don't believe that you would touch. Help us to hear the voice of Jesus in the same way he spoke to the blind man. Do you believe I am able to do this? Spirit, show us our this. Reveal it to us. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. They're going to lead us in the closing song. And as they do, I'll ask you to enter into a prayer with me. Father, we thank you for your hands of healing. And we thank you that you showed us in your son what it looks like when heaven breaks into the present. And God, we don't know why why sometimes you act in miraculous ways and other times we feel like we petition you and you don't. Father, we pray that our faith would be built through that practice of coming back before you regardless. And that we throw ourselves before you. Pleading not for answers the way that we want, but for your mercy. For your answers to our questions are better than what our imagination can conjure up. We struggle so hard to see past the moment or our own wishes or our own desires. And Lord, we know that this, this is, this is faith. We trust not in our own ability to understand, but in how good you are. Teach us not to trust our own desires. Teach us to trust that you are good, that you are for us, that you rose from the dead, that you reign at the Father's right hand, that you are still working good, that you are my friend, that you are my advocate, that you are coming back to finish what you started that you who began a good work in me will see it through to the day of completion, that you who points out the this in my heart is the same one who will lead me into paths of righteousness, that you are who you say you are. And on that, teach me how to build my ambitions. On that, teach me to relinquish control. On that place, even as small as a mustard seed, teach me to live. In Jesus' name.